It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports Rush with Brett Rush. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, go to Touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are you can put Monday in the rearview mirror. It's time to go home, and you're listening to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, four to six. I am Brett Rump, Adam Lundy in the producer's chair. Plenty of sports to talk about before 6 o'clock. It's a big night here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM because after the sports rush at 6.05, we've got the Matt Painter Show. And, of course, today the new AP poll came out, and Purdue is on top. Back at number one, the Boilermakers, after their win yesterday against Maryland, although it probably wasn't the prettiest performance, it was a victory. And that's better than what number one and number two did this week with Kansas falling twice to Kansas State and to TCU and Houston getting knocked off by Temple. So Purdue jumps up to the number one spot for the second time this year. And the Boilermakers take that number one ranking on the road to Michigan. Well, we know exactly what that's about because the Bastodons open the season at Michigan. And... uh you know, that, that, that'll be a fun matchup because that's going to be Hunter Dickinson against Zach Eady. Seven feet versus 7'4". Be very interesting to see how Michigan plays that. Do they offer double-team assistance to Hunter Dickinson? Can Zach Eady get him into foul trouble? Can Hunter Dickinson step outside? Remember what he did against the Boilermakers last year? Stepped outside the arc and started hitting three balls. Uh, is he going to try to take Zach Eady with him out to the perimeter if Zach Eady matches up against Hunter Dickinson? So it will be a chess match for the Boilermakers coming up on Thursday night at Michigan. Meanwhile, Indiana will take on Minnesota this week on Wednesday night. But, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting showdown with Michigan. It's not that Michigan, because Michigan's had some ups and downs. They're not one of the powers right now. They're a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big Ten but they're one of those teams that, from a personnel standpoint, does match up pretty well with Purdue because Michigan has the big inside. And uh, I don't know if you're studying something right now on the computer, Adam, but you seem to be very actively engaged with that computer screen. I'm just looking at the Big Ten basketball schedule here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just just passing some time while you're here on the sports rush. Yeah, we're just hanging out. Got nothing out. to add, just me hanging out, watch, uh, reading my phone. There you go. Yeah, checking the latest <laughs> text, nothing. Uh, oh, were you talking? Um, but, uh, but anyway, Michigan and Purdue coming up Thursday night. Mastodons over the weekend, I mentioned that I was out of town with the Mastodons. They had a great game on, uh, on uh, Thursday night. Here's what was interesting about Wright State. 
Okay, Mastodon's got that, what, 19-point lead second half? Looked like they were cruising. There was, what, eight minutes left, nine minutes left, and then all of a sudden Wright State got hot, and the crowd got into it, and it chipped it down to 15, then to 13. Then it got down to single digits, and then you started to get interesting. It got all the way down to four points in the last minute. And then the Mastodons held on, won the game 88-80. to But it did get a little bit hairy after the Mastodons built that 19-point lead. So on Saturday, Cleveland State, who's the Mastodons' travel partner, they went into Wright State. Guess what happened? Cleveland State builds a 21-point lead. Wright State got as close as four, just like they did against the Mastodons. Cleveland State makes a couple of plays, ends up winning the game by what? Eight, just like the Mastodons. That, those two games almost had exactly the same print. Huh. Raised to a huge lead, mid-second half. Wright State goes furious rally. And what's, what's interesting about that is Wright State did the exact same thing against Detroit Mercy earlier this year when they were down by 15 to Detroit Mercy. Hmm. And then they came back, not only took the lead, but ran away from Detroit Mercy. And I think they won it by like 15 points. And, huh. and, and it all happened like in the last eight or nine minutes. Yeah, I, I go figure. But that that so it's like, man, no lead is safe when you take on Wright State because you feel like you're cruising and they've got no chance. You're up 21. You're up 19. You know, there's only eight or nine minutes left. Starting to think, OK, who can we put into the game to get some extra minutes, rest our starters? And the next thing you know, Wright State is just going on a tear and they score points so quickly. Trey Calvin's an outstanding guard for them. Man, the, their coach has to be pulling his hair out because he—I'm sure they know if they had if they can go into a game and and you know start off well, then they don't have to dig themselves out of these holes every single game. I'm sure he just wants to have one game where he they try get to out to a good out. start. Yeah, try to figure it out. But uh, Scott Nagy, of course, the longtime coach uh, of the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, who took over at Wright State a few years ago. Uh, he's been pretty successful at Wright State, too. In fact, they won the tournament this uh, this past year. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. We won't talk too much about what happened on Saturday. Yeah. It wasn't too fun. No, it really wasn't. It was uh, not, not a good game for the Dons. Crazy, though, that the Dons had, I mean, they're, they get into this game, and they're uh, 11-11, tied 10 minutes into the game, mid-first half, defensive battle, I'd mentioned, uh, I think, in the pregame, I had talked about the fact that, that 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 Northern Kentucky wanted to keep the game somewhere in the 50s. Mastodons would prefer to get it up to 70 or better. And it was on the pace that favored North uh, Northern Kentucky. By the way, they've got a gorgeous arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then all of a sudden, um, an 18-5 to run by uh, Northern Kentucky, opened up a big lead. Now, the Mastodons were able to kind of close it back, but that 18-5 to run keyed by an offensive rebound put back, a steal and a dunk, another steal and a dunk. They had three three balls by Trey Robinson, who's not one of their top shooters, but he got hot there over a stretch. And uh, then it was a six-point game at the half, 29-23, and you're feeling like, okay, the Mastodons have weathered the storm. They can go in at the halftime. They can get regrouped, mm-hmm. come out strong in the second half. Well, the team that came out strong in the second half was Northern Kentucky. They scored seven quick points in the first two minutes of the second half, opened up a, a lead of 36-23. to 23, And from there, the Mastodons were 
basically playing uphill the rest of the contest never got over the hump and so they're five and five now in league play they are 13 and eight overall and uh it is on to IUPUI at the Gate Center, a campus game mm-hmm. coming up on Wednesday night. Looking forward to that. We got a text about the Dons here on our text line, 46862. Somebody said, Mastodons look like they have been figured out by the league. Guard the three and don't have to worry about anything else when you have short guards. There, uh, That is a problem the Mastodons are, are, I think, in the process of trying to figure out. A short point guard because... There's a couple of things that happen with a short, short point guard. Can't throw a lot of passes over the top because they get deflected on the, the release because he's a 5'8 guard. Got to use his quickness to try to create space to then open up the passing lane. And it's very, very hard to get around a 6'3 defender when you're 5'8 and be able to get to the rim to score. And so they don't consider him a threat in taking it to the basket to score. So when he drives, they spray. And that's a common defensive tactic against the Dons. When the guard drives, the defenders spray on shooters. And um, and that's where Rob Petty becomes a, a very valuable part of the equation. Because if, if the guard can attract the center and get his attention, maybe just for a step or two, you've got to be able to get the ball to Rob Petty. And in some cases, it's a wild shot that then is an offensive rebound and putback for Petty, and we've seen him do that almost better than any other player in the NCAA this year. He's uh, top 10 in offensive rebounding. But, um, you know, here the Mastodons were in the same spot a year ago. They were sitting at 500, end of January. Everybody thought... Okay, let's look at the league and let's see where we're going to be, you know, as far as seeding. And then the Dons got hot. They clicked. They started hitting shots consistently. They started to get a better rhythm offensively. And the second go-round, the second time through, they swept the field. They beat everybody the second time through. And uh, and yet they were at 500, the first round of uh, opponents in the Horizon League. So, you know, you, you don't start to panic at this point. You're disappointed because you expected with this team returning so much talent that they would pick up where they left off, which was going undefeated through the second round of the uh, Horizon League matchups because you play everybody twice. But but certainly there's plenty of times to get it right because, let's be honest, the whole season hinges on one week of March, the Horizon League tournament. Because it doesn't matter if you win the regular season. The Dons no, won the regular season last year. And that was nice because it gives you, gives you some credibility and it gives you some respect around the league. Yeah, but selection committee doesn't care. No, because to earn that spot in the tournament, you've got to win the Horizon League Championship. And you can win the Horizon League Championship if you're an eighth seed as much as you could win it if you're a one. In fact, last year, Wright State was the four seed. And they ended up winning the tournament. Out of the four teams that went, it was the top four seeds. Wright State ended up winning the tournament. Knocked off the number one seed and then knocked off the number three seed in the championship to get the ticket to the big dance. So the goals are still there. What you'd like to have is a home game for the one league game that you have to play in the tournament before you go to the semifinals down in Indy. You would like to have that game at home And to assure yourself of that home game, you need to finish in the top four. And right now, the Don's sitting around sixth sixth or seventh place. So five and five kind of puts them right in the middle of the pack. 
46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Grizzlies had a tough weekend. Of course, we follow the Grizzlies because of John Conchar. Grizzlies lost to the Lakers on Friday night. Little interesting uh, side note in this one. Shannon Sharp. Yeah. Hosts that show with the uh, ever popular Skip Bayless. Everyone loves him. Yeah, right. Shannon Sharp got into it with the uh, Grizzlies. It started with a little spat with Dylan Brooks about his defense on LeBron. Mm -hmm. Said he was too small. And then it kind of continued as more Grizzlies, including John Morant, John Morant's father. Yeah, T. Morant uh, in the stands. In the stands, decided to come back up his son. And uh, and Stephen Adams. Now. Steven Adams is not a guy to mess with. I I mean, he's one of those guys that looks like he would, uh, you know, break your neck with his bare hands and, and laugh while doing it. He's he's a scary looking dude. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> no, he's, he's pretty tough, dude. So the question is, if you had a wrestling match between Steven Adams, the center of the Grizzlies and Shannon Sharp, who you got your money on? Adams or Sharp? Because Sharp didn't seem to want to back down. No, Sharp said he was ready to ready to go ready with to whoever. go with whoever. I mean, and then and then all they did was took Shannon Sharp to the back hall, let him cool down, and return to his courtside seat. Yeah, nobody uh, nobody got ejected. You were anybody else? You're not getting back into that arena, and you're probably never going to be in an arena again. Trying to pick a fight with one of the NBA teams. But Shannon Sharp returned. And uh, unfortunately for the Grizzlies, they not only lost that game, but then they went on to Phoenix and lost against the Suns. And they got a tough one tonight. They could lose three in a row. They had won like 11 straight. And now they could uh, lose their third straight. They're at Sacramento to take on the hot Sacramento Kings. Yeah, that's uh, the late night game tonight in the NBA. So, uh, yeah, big news from the uh, Lakers, though, today. Yeah. Rui Hachimura is becoming a Los Angeles Laker. Now, I wonder what this means as far as the potential of Miles Turner being traded because the team that he was most closely associated with when it came to trade talks was the Los Angeles Lakers. But I can't imagine that they're going to be willing to deal more assets to go after a Miles Turner now that they've got... Hachimura. Yeah, especially because reports are saying that the Lakers plan to extend Hachimura. And and the Wizards were not. No, the the Wizards did not could not reach because a, they they yeah. could they couldn't do it because of Kuzma. Kuzma and they're already paying Beal and uh, Porzingis a lot, so that's yeah, why they couldn't. Kuzma, yeah, Kuzma, Kuzma's the deal breaker. Well, and Kuzma and Hachimura play primarily the same position and so they it was a numbers game. Yeah. And so rather than lose him for nothing, which is the Pacers position right now with Miles Turner. Yeah. The Wizards made the deal. And what was it? Second round picks, couple of second round picks, three second round, three second round picks. And there was a player tossed in, wasn't there? Kendrick Nunn. Oh, that's right. Kendrick Nunn, the former Oakland Golden Grizzly. Yeah. He's averaging about six points on the season. So he's, I mean, he's a, he comes in role player. He hits a couple threes. Yeah. He's a three ball shooter. But uh, but but he is a representative of the Horizon League playing in the NBA. 
Got a couple texts on the uh, Parkview Sports Medicine text line about uh, Stephen Adams versus Shannon Sharp here. Yeah, who are we so, taking? Someone said Adams would knock the lisp out of Sharp's mouth. <laughs> Probably. Someone else said Sharp. Nothing against basketball players. It's a difficult sport, but let's be honest, they aren't built like football players. Adams is what seven feet tall. He's he's six eleven. Um, Shannon's about six two, six three. So big height advantage. Got to have that reach. Yeah. So. But they'll go sharp. They'll, so be, right now we're split on the text line yep. one one with Adams versus Sharp. Who you gonna take? Celebrity death match. Yeah, here. we do need a celebrity death match. I think between uh, Sharp and Adams to uh, to settle this for us. The sports rush match of the week. <laughs> Got to settle this uh, Lakers uh, or whatever Grizzlies Shannon beef. Yeah. Uh, let's get Don Fisher on the phone. We're going to talk to Fish, our 15 minutes with Fish, the legendary Hall of Fame voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. He's going to join us next right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Purdue Fort Wayne men's basketball coach John Coffin, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Go Dons. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy, our studio producer. Hey, coming up later tonight, if you want to get caught up on Purdue Boilermakers basketball or Indiana Hoosiers basketball, this is the place to be locked in because at 6.05, we've got the Matt Painter Show. And then at 7.05, Inside IU Basketball with Mike Woodson, hosted by Don Fisher. And both of those shows right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Tomorrow we'll get caught up on the Mastodons. The Mastodons Coaches Show rolls onto your radio dial right after the sports rush at 6 p.m. We've got a full lineup. Men's basketball coach John Kaufman will be talking to... uh, Perhaps a men's player, a couple of women's players. We've got volleyball coach Rock Parat. The men are off to a great start. And uh, all of that jammed into one loaded hour from 6 to 7. The Mastodons Coaches Show right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Well, it is our pleasure every week to welcome our next guest to the show. It's our 15 Minutes with Fish, presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. And joining us right now, the Hall of Fame voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher. Don, it's a rarity. We get to talk about a couple of IU wins. How about that? It, uh, it This team finally seems to have found itself. Now you hope that they have found consistency as well. But... Uh, you couldn't ask for much more than what the Hoosiers got going on the road to Illinois, coming back home and beating Michigan State. I mean, that's certainly not only big for the confidence with this program, but it's big for NCAA aspirations as well. You're right, uh, Brett. This this team with the, the three wins in a row now uh, that has pushed their record to an even four and four in the Big Ten, uh, a Big Ten conference right now that is being led by a Purdue team that doesn't look like they're going to give up anything uh, this year at all because they've only lost once uh, on the season. But And probably will be ranked number one, I think, this week uh, after what happened over the weekend. But Here's the thing right now with Indiana basketball. They have finally figured out that you've got to play with intensity at the defensive end of the floor at the outset of ball games. And here's the interesting part. They didn't start that way against Illinois uh, in Champaign. The first two minutes of the game, Mike Woodson calls a timeout 
Why? Because he didn't see the kind of intensity level that he wanted to see and guys weren't executing where they were supposed to be on the floor at the defensive end. And in that huddle, as soon as that that timeout was finished, these guys went back out on the floor and you could see that they had changed their mindset. Uh, you could just tell it. You could, you could feel it uh, atmospherically, so to speak. Um, and all of a sudden, they started playing hard at the defensive end. That translated into a good performance at the offensive end. And they walked away with a big victory uh, against the Illini in Champaign, which is a rarity in itself. But to, to win it like they did, I don't want to call it a beatdown, but they certainly dominated the ball game from an offensive standpoint. And a part of that, I think, Brett, if you think about it, is a leadership aspect. Mm-hmm. And we have seen Trace Jackson Davis kind of turn into this incredible performer in the last several ball games now with his, with what he's been able to do in, in contest. He's got back-to-back 30-plus point ball games now, 35, I think, and 31 this week in the two games that he played. Uh, and, and obviously he's doing a tremendous job rebounding the basketball. He's now averaging a double-double, which he has never done in his career. He's almost 20 points a game on the season, 10 rebounds a ball game, and he's playing the best basketball since he's come to Indiana. So I think a big part of what Indiana's success has been of late has been the ability for our players to get him the basketball, get him scoring it, and being able to do the things that he's capable of doing. And I think that's one of the reasons they've got this little three-game win streak going on against three really good teams. Well, we've talked quite a bit about the leadership of this program and who who is the voice in that locker room. And can Trace Jackson Davis, I don't want to say change his personality, but can he be an in-your-face, hold-you-accountable type of guy? And it starts with your performance and then getting others to buy into it. And it does look, at least it's a small sample, but it does look like Indiana's responding to that uh, players-only discussion. We, we don't want to make more of it than what it was. I know right, Mike right. Woodson could have downplayed it, but, you know, it's still... I think the message was sent, I'm the leader of this team and I'm holding everyone accountable. I mean, I think that did come out of it. But I want to talk about what triggers Indiana's success, because a lot of times you'll hear that, you know, well, it's easy to play defense when the ball's going in on the offensive end. But this team seems to work a little bit in reverse. I think they're better offensively when they're really locked down defensively. I'm not. I'm not so sure that that's not the case for every team that is successful. To be honest about it, I think you have to play. I think defense is the most important factor in every in every ball club's arsenal because if you play well at the defensive end, it's going to hold you in ball games. It's going to keep you in them, and the offense gets a chance then to whether it's not playing its best or not you still have a chance for the offense to come around. People are going to start making shots every now and then. Uh, but you've got to be able to stay in the ball game defensively. You've got to be able to keep the other team from scoring at will. And that's why defense, I think, is the most critical aspect of, of a good basketball team. Uh, you've got to be able to stop the other team from scoring. And if you can't, you're capable with the shooters, and we let's face it, Indiana has not been a great shooter has had over the last six or seven seasons now. They're still hitting over 50% of their shots, almost 51%, and they're knocking down like 38% from the three-point line. 
So, and there are more people are doing it. So all those things are critical from an offensive standpoint, but it's defense that carries the day. And it was perfectly shown in that Wisconsin ball game uh, a week and a half ago when they were able to hold Wisconsin to 20 points in the first half while only scoring 21 themselves. <laughs> And then the second half, they just took off and an 18-2 to run to start the second half and blew the game wide open. So I still think, I think defense is the critical factor for every basketball team. And the really good ones are, are good at both ends of the floor, but defense first. What has Indiana changed offensively? Is Trace Jackson Davis getting more touches? He's getting more shots. And I've, I've said that that's kind of an important part for IU is your star player has to get the most shots. And it wasn't always that way. But he got 20 shots against Michigan State. What I was surprised by after watching Michigan State not double Zach Eady is how many times they, they ran down to double Trace Jackson Davis. Yet he still hit 10 of 20 from the field uh, and finished with, uh, with 31 points. But what is different about the Indiana offense right now? Well, you're right. They're trying to get the ball to trace much more often than they did previously. That's been the critical factor. The other factor, against Illinois, they didn't double-team. They didn't double-team mm-hmm. him hardly at all in that ball game, uh, and he went crazy in that contest. He obviously scored uh, 35 points in that battle uh, and was just a terrific performer from an offensive standpoint. Against Michigan State, they didn't double, it wasn't a traditional double team, but they had their guards digging down after mm-hmm. the pass got in there. So they would actually come back and try to help him. And still, he was able to throw 31 against them because Indiana made it a priority to get the ball to him first. He needed to touch it virtually every time they came down the floor. And when he didn't, when he didn't shoot the basketball, he was able to kick it out to shooters. And how about Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates? I mean, both those guys went crazy in this ball game from a three-point perspective. Uh, Tamar Bates didn't score a single point in the Illinois ball game nor in the Wisconsin ball game. Yesterday he comes out and he hits five threes. So, so that is a major factor as well. Uh, you've got to be able, and that's the key. If your, your big guy is being doubled or they take his opportunities away from him, he kicks it outside. And here's what the other thing that Trace has done. He's become a tremendous passer. He's, he's had five, he had five assists in the ball game against Illinois. Uh, he had four assists in the game yesterday against Michigan State. He is starting to kick the ball out to shooters and getting it to the right guy at the right time to give them an opportunity to knock down shots. And that's been another reason the offense has been so successful. You know, Trey Galloway has not been a great three-point shooter through his career, but he's shooting it much better now. You mentioned the three-for-three from three-point land that he had uh, in yesterday's or in uh, uh, the weekend ball game. I'm trying to remember now what day was it. It was yesterday, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah, um, he hit some shots. And, And to me, you know, you look at Indiana and you need that, balance in offense and uh, you're not getting it from the freshman consistently miller cop very limited on his looks i mean guys like galloway and bates are really important to this offense especially without xavier johnson out there that's exactly right and trey galloway uh, i know he's never been known as a great shooter since he's been at iu until this year but this year, and I've watched him in practices, Brett, there's nobody that hits more threes in practice outside of maybe Miller Cop occasionally 
But Trey Galloway knocks down threes consistently. You know what he's shooting right now from the three-point line for the season? He's probably 52%, isn't he? 50, 52%. Yeah. He is shot. I mean, he doesn't take tons of threes, but when he takes them, you've got a good chance of it going in because he's become a really good three-point shooter. He's improved his look, the look of his shot, and he's improved his stroke, period. And he, he here's the other thing that he did in this game yesterday. He ended up playing the point most of the afternoon because Huchifino was not having his best day. And when in the in the second half when he got knee in the thigh, uh, was nowhere near as mobile as he normally is. And he basically played much of the second half. Trey was the point guard for most of the second half, and he's become a better ball handler as well as that spark that Indiana's always had because of how hard he plays. So he's become a very valuable option for this Indiana basketball team, and this role that he's had this year as the second guard in the offense here in the last few ball games because of the injuries to X and so on, uh, he has really made the most of it and showed people he's capable. Three straight wins, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Michigan State, and now it's a trip to Minnesota. You've got all this positive momentum going forward. You cannot give it back. You've got to go take care of business. You, you've got to find a way to beat a down Minnesota team, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Minnesota's struggling right now. They're one and seven, but like, like we said before, they can beat you. They knocked off Ohio State at Ohio State just a week and a half ago. So uh, you can't take anybody lightly in this league. And I hope Indiana's learned that lesson because they should have, having lost in both Northwestern and Penn State in back-to-back ball games where they weren't playing anywhere near their capabilities. So this is a basketball team, hopefully, that's learned a big lesson from that and continues this strong performances that they've had here in the last three games. And we look forward to hearing more inside IU basketball with head coach Mike Woodson comes up later tonight at 7.05. Don, always appreciate the time. Have a great week. Good luck with the two two games, Minnesota, and then coming up on Saturday, Ohio State visits Bloomington. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate you having me. That is Don Fisher, legendary Hall of Fame voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. And, of course, our 15 Minutes with Fish, presented as always by Cruzy Automotive Service. They are on Lima Road, north of Wall and south of Till, right behind the Shell gas station. Tell them you heard it here on the Sports Rush. An oil change for just $19.90. Regular five-quart oil change, just $19.90. 90 cents now at Cruzy. We'll take a time out. We're going to come back. Plenty more coming up here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix. Four to six, Brett Rump, Adam Lundy. I can't remember now where I got this list. That come from Awful Announcing? It sure did. Uh, because uh, awfulannouncing.com, they obviously do a lot of... Uh, critiques of broadcasters in the sports world. And so this list came out today for 2022-2023 season, ranking the NFL broadcasters, the national broadcast teams. And it uh, ranked all the way down to, I think, number 17. But we're going to focus on the top 10 on how awfulannouncing.com actually ranked the broadcast teams that worked for any of the network broadcast. Of course, that's any of the games on Fox, any of the games on CBS, the ESPN crew, and uh, NBC. Plus, you've got Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. 
who did the uh, Amazon games on Thursday night. So we've got the top 10. We don't have a drum roll, do we? Um, I thought maybe, you know, build this up with the drum roll. We don't have the drum roll. So at number 10, our buddy Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. Kind of in the middle of the pack, but not a bad grade for a guy who is almost part-time doing Fox games. Uh, he uh, he comes in at number 10 overall. That is one spot below Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma, who uh, were at number 9. At number 8, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit. Kind of interesting that uh, Michaels and Collinsworth came in at number two last year. Um, but, uh, and last year with Collins and, uh, or Michaels and Collinsworth, they had a 3.51 score. This year, they only have a 2.50 score for Michaels and Herbstreet, which means Herbstreet kind of brought down Al Michaels. Do you think the games might have had something to do with that? Because they got some dogs on Thursdays. I think it certainly can affect uh, how well you call a game. And small audience. Yeah. Uh, Number seven, Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston. Now, that was uh, Joe Davis who did the World Series for Fox, also doing football broadcast. They came in at number seven. At number six was the new A-team for Fox. Kind of a low ranking for the number one duo. Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, awful announcing, ranked them number six. One spot ahead. And this is interesting because I think I would have given these guys the number one grade overall. And oh. awful, announcer, awful announcing gave them number five. Mike Tirico. And Chris Collinsworth. It's a good duo. I think Tariko is terrific. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think Tariko, well-prepared, uses the the information that he has really well within a broadcast, not to detract from a broadcast. I think he calls the game with the right energy. I think Tariko and Collinsworth were a fantastic duo for NBC, but they came in at number five, and this was apparently a vote that was done. Mm-hmm. I think they said they had like 24,000 votes cast, mm. and they went through average scores for everybody. Uh, at number four, just ahead of Tariko and Collinsworth, the CBS number one duo of Jim Nance and Tony Romo. I would have had them number two. It's a good duo. I know some people aren't a huge fan of Tony Romo's prediction calls, but. Yeah, that's gotten old. I mean, Romo is not perfectly polished, but he's genuine. Yes. I mean, you you know, you feel the genuine excitement from Romo. Jim Nance, I think, delivers a great call. Uh, but Jim Nance, Tony Romo at number four. And at number three was Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, the Monday night duo from ESPN. Yeah. Which, at this point, we've now gone through most of the number one broadcast teams. I was going to say, yeah, Joe Buck uh, is... Uh, yeah, I mean, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson, Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth, and Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit. They were the they were the number one guys during the season, and none of them were in the top two of the overall vote on awful announcing. So at number two, 
I would ask you to guess, but I can tell with the blind look, you have no idea. Yeah, I'm not going to guess these. At number two, Kevin Harlan and Trent Green. I do like Harlan. Harlan, yeah, he's he's great. He's creative. Yeah, and I, I like him because he also does the NBA and yeah, like when there's a cat loose and when the, I mean he's done some unique. <laughs> We've got calls. a cat on the field. Yeah, um, but uh, Kevin Harlan and Trent Green. From CBS got number two, and it was also a CBS duo that got the number one spot from Awful Announcing. Oh, we do have a little bit of a drum roll. There you go. For number one. And number one. Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. CBS. We had Ian Eagle on not too long ago. I know. He was actually a guest in this program. So on this program, not more than a couple of weeks ago, a month ago maybe, time flies when you're old <laughs> and supposedly having fun. <laughs> Ian Eagle was right here on this radio station. And so Ian Eagle and Charles Davis, the number one duo, according to awfulannouncing.com. There you go. Now, don't be fooled by the name, too. Awful. I mean, it's like, no, it's no. not a joke. It's it's actually a a poll that they put out and they averaged all the scores from the votes that were cast. And this is how the poll ended up playing out, that Ian Eagle and Charles Davis were considered the top broadcasting duo. We got a text on the text line, uh, 46862. They ask, what do you think of the firing of the Comets coach's father from his NHL position? And we we saw a little bit of a funny video about this, actually. This uh, Vancouver is like one step ahead or maybe a half step behind where the Colts organization is right now. The Canucks. The Canucks, yeah. Yeah, somebody, somebody doing a report on Washington, D.C. television on the Fox Sports, on the Fox uh, Network local broadcast called them the Canucks. And... Uh, Bodro. Yeah, they they really messed up. Yeah, Bruce Bodro uh was was let go by the Vancouver Canucks. Um uh, but but no, really seriously, um he's been a terrific coach. And one of those things is if you're going to fire a guy, who are you going to get that's better? You're taking a a chance and a risk on an unknown commodity. Uh I I think you let him finish the season. I think the fans wanted him to finish the season. He deserved that. And Vancouver made changes in their general manager and their uh, some of their executives like a year ago. And I think they're they're trying to save their jobs, right? And show that, you know, they can get this ship righted. Don't fire me. I'm in the, you know, I'm on the right path. We're going to make a change at, at coach and we're, you know, all this. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, people pay the price when others are trying to save their own blank. And in this case, I think that's a little of what happened to Bruce Boudreaux. And it's unfortunate because he's... Uh, He's one of the class acts in the NHL. He's one of the successful coaches. And, in fact, even had a winning record in Vancouver, despite the fact that they were struggling of late. Uh, he's got an overall winning record with four different clubs in the NHL. And I'd, I'd like to say someone else is going to be in line to hire him, but 
70 years old, you wonder if that will be a hindrance for him to find his next position. I My understanding is he's 70. And, uh, you know, you hate it. I hope, uh, I hope he comes to Fort Wayne and gets to spend some time with the family here. Yeah, he's almost 70. He's 68. Okay. So you were close. I, but, but I yeah. thought I heard somebody say this morning he was 70. But uh, 68 years old, he may get another opportunity. It's probably not going to be until the offseason. But, um, you know, what does he want to do? at this point in his life. And he's going to have an opportunity now through the season to spend time when he normally doesn't with the family. Uh, I hope he does make a trip into Fort Wayne and spend some time here with Ben. Uh, I, I would invite him to be on the program anytime he'd like. He can, he can join us here on the sports rush Four six eight six two Parkview sports medicine text line. Four six eight six two. Big night tonight. We've got some great coaches shows coming up. We'll tell you about it when we return on the Sports Rush on thirteen eighty The Fan and one hundred point nine FM. Back final time on the Sports Rush. Your daily local sports fix four to six. Brett Rump with Adam Lundy. Coming up tonight. Big night with Purdue being number one in the country again. We've got the coach Matt Painter's show at six oh five. Then at seven oh five. Indiana on a hot streak. We'll get Mike Woodson's thoughts inside IU basketball with Mike Woodson and your host Don Fisher at 7.05 right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Also, over the weekend, Colts continuing to interview for the vacant head coaching position. They were supposed to talk to D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator for San Francisco, but because of the 49ers game against the Cowboys, Ryan's went through a couple of interviews on Saturday, had two more scheduled, including one against the Colts, decided it was too much. He needed to focus on the game and postponed his head coaching interview with the Indianapolis Colts. We'll see where that takes the Colts and where that takes D'Amico Ryan's, who now is going to have to prepare San Francisco for a conference championship game coming up this Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Sports Rush with our guest, Don Fisher. Always appreciate our 15 minutes with Fish. I am Brett Rump for Adam Lundy. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.